you know, I'm a central Wisconsin born and bred kid who didn't experience much diversity. And I cherish the exposure to diversity in a lot of different ways around the world and within our country that I might not have otherwise experienced. And, and I call back on those experiences quite often. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome. I am Mike Orban, and along with co-host Bob Bach, we welcome you to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. From our studio overlooking the Milwaukee River here in West Bend, Wisconsin, we're going to travel up north to Osseo, Wisconsin, and catch up with Marine veteran Scott Schultz. Let me introduce Scott Schultz. He is the co-founder and president and executive director of the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts, Incorporated. Uh, Scott is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He worked as a reporter and editor in print journalism for more than 45 years. He also worked in radio and television journalism during the past five years, and has written hundreds of sociology essays about people's connections with the land. Some of his writing was compiled into a book, Rural Roots and Ruts, The, the Guesthouse Cottage 2004 is the editor, and which has been used as required reading in a variety of university courses. His essays also were used in regional and national rural life projects, and he maintains a blog, Rural Roots. Scott has lectured about writing motivation and processes to elementary, high school, and university students in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Florida, and Pennsylvania, and has conducted writing programs for people of all ages in many other settings. Probably the one we're going to focus on today is the Heartbeats Veterans Expressing Themselves Project has become a large portion of of Scott's life as he and the Heartbeat co-founder, Denise Beasley, have organized the project from its beginning. So we are going to reach out now and go down to, go up to Osseo, just uh, north of um, Eau Claire, I believe it is, in Wisconsin, and welcome in our guest, Scott Schultz. Welcome, Scott. 
Hey, thanks, Mike. And actually, it's just a little bit south of Eau Claire. Oh, but just a little bit close. south. Close, yeah, 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 uh, close, out in the countryside here. Yeah, out in the countryside. And one of the things that we're going to be focusing, and I won't go into depth on this, uh, with our podcast, is reaching out. One of the reasons for the podcast is to reach out to the rural communities because they don't have as much access right. to the different projects and resources that are available through seminars and, and that sort of thing. So welcome to our yeah. rural community in Osseo. So. Scott, uh, just to start out, give us a little bit of an idea of who you are, where you're from, and that sort of thing. Well, I'm a, an old farm kid from central Wisconsin, born and raised on a kind of a diverse dairy farm, of course, uh, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and, and the like when I was raised. Still a small dairy farm with chickens and hogs and, uh, and the like. And one of the things I really made an effort to do as I was growing up, and I admit it freely, is to get out of work on that farm. I, I did everything that I could. It, it was a wonderful life, and I and I cherish every moment of it looking back. But as I got into high school, I, like I said, uh, probably didn't want to be milking cows as much as I should have wanted to milk cows. And so I, I turned to athletics in the school, and I was the youngest of six kids. So by then, instead of arguing whether I could be out for a couple of sports, my parents just gave up on me and said, just go out for the sports. And yeah. honestly, I found myself probably working harder in the weight room and working out to get ready for these sports. And I probably would have been working on the farm. And by the time I got to be a senior in high school, I actually had uh, that first semester of that year's entire afternoon blocked into study halls with a plan of doing some schoolwork right after lunch, checking out and going down to the locker room, maybe for a nap or to work out a little bit, and then another period uh, getting ready for a practice. But uh, I had a, a journalism teacher. She was the journalism teacher at my high school, Loyal High School in, in central Wisconsin in Clark County. And uh, one of the first days, early warm August day, she came stomping into the study hall, a large woman. I'm a big guy. And this lady, uh, Marveline Butterbrook, probably was at least as big as I am, maybe bigger. She stomped all the way back to where I was starting my afternoon nap in the study hall and grabbed me <laughs> by one of my ears, literally, literally grabbed me and uh, pulled me out of my seat. And she said, you're not wasting your afternoon here you're coming to my journalism class. And little did I know, Mike, that I had any interest in writing and uh, looking back at it, I had always been journaling and I didn't even know what journaling was all about ever since uh, I was probably able to write the first words. And But Marveline saw that and she dragged me into her journalism class and uh, got me going writing uh, a weekly sports column of all things for the local high school newspaper or not, i shouldn't say high school newspaper the local community weekly newspaper called the tribune record gleaner which covers a wide span of clark county i, I got notice in that and it was it, it was a good ego feeding thing i guess uh, i went to a football game playing in a football game one night uh, an opposing coach, after I made a tackle on his sideline, came running down the sideline and yelled something in reference to what I had written in my sports column that week. <laughs> and, and I said, my goodness, I was eight, 17 years old. And I'm thinking, 
boy, I got somebody's attention uh, by writing that column, the opposing coach. That's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. yeah so I, I, and it affected the game and I, I, I like that. And uh, so when the time came to look at uh, colleges, universities or farming, whatever I was going to be doing after high school, I skipped down to one of the, uh, to visit with one of the recruiters, probably just to get out of a class or something like that. But I saw the Navy recruiter. And uh, when I got back to the classroom, uh, one of my friends said, Scott, why did you guys go to that uh, Navy recruiter, visit that recruiter? Because uh, you're not interested in enlisting in the service. And I said, maybe I am. Don't tell me that. And so the next day, the Marine recruiter came. And, well, who can resist a guy in dress blues, right? Uh, I've, I've been told that anyway. So the fella okay, told no, me. Let, let me stop you right there. Is that, <laughs> no, I, seriously, is that true? Yeah. When you saw that, were you captivated by the uniform and swept? My goodness. Well, that, that's where I'm going. I, I'm not going to pass judgment on anyone, <laughs> but I'll say his uniform was a lot tighter than the Navy recruiter the day before. I made note of that. And, and that Marine recruiter, at the time there was a, uh, a promotional program with the Marine Corps, uh, a recruiting program. The theme was that old song, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Well, there's a poster and uh, that Marine uh, said, we don't promise you a rose garden. And maybe son, maybe you can make it and become one of us. And, and that kind of stuff hooked me. Wow. And to top it off, he said, I hear you like writing. You know, they have newspapers and uh, journalism programs in the military, and uh, we'll send you to a journalism school. I said, really? And that was interesting. And I enlisted, went to the Marine Corps, went to boot camp in San Diego. Now, if you've ever watched the movie Full Metal Jacket. I have, um, I've heard of it. Oh, my, my, my. Um, I was the honor man in our platoon and in our series. So what is that? 320 recruits. I was the honor graduate. So when they were yelling out what everybody's MOS was going to be. Uh, MOS know, being what? Explain that. A military occupational specialty, what your job was going to be, where you were going off to school in the military, and what hills you were going to hump. I was last because I was the honor graduate uh, the day before graduation. This was and this is a true story. They yelled out, 4312, basic combat journalist. And my drill instructors just had a dumbfounded, dumbfounded looks on their faces. And one of them screamed, and this line, almost word for word, is in the movie. Journalism? Writer, you're no writer, you're a Marine. What's wrong with you? And uh, I loved it. And that, that line was used in the movie. And uh, the, the movie line is that you're no Mickey's plane, you're a, you're a killer. And uh, so 
Yeah, I always kind of got a kick out of that. Went to journalism school yeah, at uh, Fort Benjamin. Scott, Scott, let, me, let, yes? let me just ask you a few questions before we move Go on. Go ahead. There. So, wh- number one, what year are we about? And what about your family? You have a history of military in the background, your father, grandparents, anything but besides Nine? just drifting across this guy in a beautiful uniform, were there any other, <laughs> any other this, inspiration for joining the, this, the, the, this, the military? Right. Good questioning. I, I think um, it, was, it was at the end of the Vietnam era. Uh, Saigon had not yet fallen uh, in 1974. And uh, I didn't have necessarily a military tradition in my family. Uh, one of my first cousins from Detroit uh, was uh, a machine gunner in the Marine Corps with a couple of uh, tours in country and um, in Vietnam we're and, talking about. Yes, we're talking about Vietnam and and I guess uh, I, he's one of the fellows I always looked up to in my life uh, for a lot of reasons besides uh, besides having become a Marine and you know uh, uncles World War II uncles I had. A great uncle famously died. Uh, I say famously, but uh, died in World War One. And uh, so, but in the end, there was no real family tradition or draw uh, to the military. In fact, it was kind of an anomaly uh, among the. I'm, I'm the only one of the six uh, children and my parents who uh, did enlist or serve in the military, and and I don't know what that side of things how that dynamic worked in my brain to be honest when well, let, when i was let, 17 let, let's years go back old to this dynamic in your brain when you went home and told mom and dad i'm going to the marine corps what did your mom say <laughs> and what, how did your family respond and was there a send-off for you and a pride or a fear or, yeah what, as, what, what as you know fa- in family component of this the family component reflected a lot of the social component at the time um you know the combat operations had just wound down in Vietnam, but it was still really fresh and raw um, with folks. And there were a lot of tears shed uh, among among my siblings and my parents about uh, the understanding of of what I might be doing. So there was nervousness, and 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 I understand that. And anybody who's been in the military when their child comes up to them, as I experienced a few years ago and says, I'm considering, you know, uh, you kind of, I, I do anyway, I did, uh, hesitated. And, well, you, you uh, certainly know the ultimate result that could happen uh, when right. somebody joins the military. It's not like That's saying, right. you know, well, well, I'm going off to play football at the University of Wisconsin. It's not right. the same as I'm joining the Marine Corps when there's a, a, a war or pending war or possibility of war. That's right. And, uh, and one of the things that I did keep telling them was, well, Mom and Dad, you know that college thing that I might be looking at down the line here. Well, I just fixed all that for us because you know that'll be taken care of. The GI Bill, and, and that's a very, very strong. It was for me a very strong mm-hmm. um, draw into the military. Even though I was drafted, it was one of the things right. I look forward to. Is that the GI Bill, not just for schooling, but for for housing when I came home. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So now you're, absolutely. you're in the Marine Corps. And you're, you're Camp Pendleton. And take us quickly just through the military service uh, as you saw it as a Marine Corps. Did it hold your expectations when you joined, when you saw this recruiter, when you saw the beautiful uniform? You had expectations. Did the Marine Corps active duty hold up to that expectations, or were there things that were unexpected 
uh, number one, the discipline. <laughs> well, no, I, I fully expected, you know, the discipline and I actually enjoyed it because when I uh, was dealing with discipline issues or dealt with uh, them, I would uh, turn back again to my upbringing, which was a pretty solid, you get your butt out of bed and you, and you work and, and the work is hard. And then uh, the athletic side of things, I was a wrestler and football player. And I uh, said, well, anything that I'm getting beaten up doing here, humping a hill, whatever it might be, I've done this, you know, this is wrestling practice. And, 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 and I turned my mind also, that way. You also had a teacher who pulled you out of your chair by your ears. So I'm sure there was, there was concern. You didn't want a Marine Corps uh, drill sergeant <laughs> doing that to you. So. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I already saw it and I knew nobody was going to pull their belt out, and, <laughs> you know, and, and give me one across the back of the rear, but the experience that I had in the military and, and, you know, I got out and about uh, with the third Marine division in the far East and, and did some things and floats and stuff over that way and, and did hump some hills. But my job was, was one that always kept things fresh and interesting. As I said, I, I went to school at Fort Benjamin Harrison in, 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 in Indiana. Uh, and uh, that school now has moved to Fort Meade in Maryland. But um Nothing was ever boring. I uh, was with grunts one day. I was with the air wing the next day, you know, uh, a week later doing things with them. Um, was with artillery, you know, I, I, I got to do and see and feel and experience a lot of things. One thing I did learn, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more in depth later, but uh, the society of the military I found is a full reflection of society in America in general, that there are all kinds of folks there and um, you know, they're good folks and bad folks and folks in between. And uh, it's something we don't recognize and a lot of different opinions and attitudes and everything. And one thing that I will note is uh, in this time of year for a story for another time, but um you know, I'm a central Wisconsin born and bred kid who didn't experience much diversity. And I cherish the exposure to diversity in a lot of different ways around the world and within our country that I might not have otherwise experienced. And and I call back on those experiences quite often. Wow, that's that's an excellent message. I think a lot of us experience that. But you're you're not actually from Osseo. You're from an even smaller town up north, I believe, aren't you? Right. Well, uh, so, uh, our so farm. We're two thirds <laughs> of the way north of uh, of the Illinois Wisconsin border where you grew up. So there was no diversity up there at all. No, so we're very little. No, in the sixties, uh, very little. There might have been, uh, you know, some Catholics and Lutherans up road that were different but that was our our idea of diversity in this small place and like i said i went to loyal high school which is a small school uh in the marshfield area actually but the place i grew up in the countryside is a place called Vifkind, which was uh, a little community that no longer is anything more than a cemetery and a road name um that was named after my great-great-grandfather, Henry Born Wiefkind, who came from Holland. And I hang my hat and a lot of my writing and a lot of my essays about that place and the importance of 
your roots and knowing your place, your soil, and how that can connect you in a lot of different ways uh, through all kinds of writing and arts and and, understanding yourself and understanding where we come from, not just in our lifetime, but our extended genealogy, our background. Exactly. And, uh, a lot of the things I, I, uh, preach in my, uh, in uh, heartbeat center for writing literacy in the arts programs, which we call the heartbeat center for short, <laughs> um, is, is, uh, finding ways to let people know our own legacies so that, our uh, generations down the line know who we were uh, because I think that helps them understand, as you alluded to here, uh, that helps them understand who they are. And, uh, you know, I, w- I want to know more about, you know, Henry Born Viefkind and, and uh, my great-great-grandparents. I wish they had recordings uh, going on like this back then because – I'd love to know what his voice sounds like. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, and I would like to get to that to um, to the Heartbeat Center and what you're you're working on there. But before we do that, I'm trying to think. There was a very, it's still there, the magazine or the the newspaper for the military that's around the world. Were you writing for that? Stars and Stripes. Stars and Stripes. I, I had, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I Boy, had am I going to get slapped for that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had stories published in the Stars and Stripes, sure. but uh, most of my stories uh, were directed at base newspapers, number one, in places everywhere from South uh, Paris Island, San Diego, um, Okinawa. The Marine uh, World. The Marine World, yep. And... Uh, and a lot of hometown uh, newspaper things uh, that went on. And yeah, and as I said, whatever, you know, I wasn't obviously going to fly a helicopter, but whatever the, say, the grunts that I was with were doing, yeah. I was doing that. But the sweet part of what they were doing, uh, I humped so many hills in a week and uh, then I could go and do something else. Right. Just, so, just for our audience, yeah. uh, explain a grunt and explain humping the hill. Just so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the you're humping is my that. loose, humping yeah. is my loose term, uh, uh, humping hills. But no, that's but, uh, what we did. We humped the boonies. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, and you had, uh, you know, a grunt. When I refer to a grunt, I'm, I'm talking, uh, basic, basic rifleman, uh, the infantry soldier, the infantry soldier, uh, the boots on the ground, literally. And, uh, I, I remember one, yep, humping the and one one fellow that I I went to boot camp with uh, who grew up not far from me. Met him in a bar probably, not not so long ago, and he said, "How many pairs of boots did you go through uh, during your time in service?" And I said, uh, "I said just several, I, you know." He said, "I went through a pair a week." Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, he said, "He said I think I found every hill." from wow. from uh the east coast to uh the far east i think i, I managed to get through every uh, inch of brush and hillside in in all that area and and i said well that was the, again the sweet part of my job that i did that some but uh, didn't have to do it all the time and uh, in a way you're in that in that role um, you're also, I shouldn't say freewheeling, but you get to kind of pick and choose ideas and 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 what you want to be doing. And 
obviously with, you know, uh, a gunnery sergeant or master sergeant, sergeant major looking down uh, over your shoulder uh, or, or a colonel of some sort. But it's kind of a, it's a hard description uh, to, to actually pin down. It's very interesting, very interesting, uh, my time in service. That's the best we way are speaking it. with Marine veteran Scott Schultz, who is up in Osceola, Wisconsin, a rural community just, uh, just south of Eau Claire. And Scott is the co-founder of the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts. And uh, also, we're going to get to developing a documentary uh, titled Homes about the Afghan refugee settlement, but we'll get that at the end. So, Scott, now you have come home from the Marine Corps. You're making that transition. Your parents are there to welcome you, and your mom's happy to see you that uh, <laughs> that you've made it through there okay. Start. What was the expectation on coming home, the transition, and and then take us up to actually co-founding the Heartbeat Center for Writing? Yeah, because of my training in the military and my growing interest in journalism, I, I jumped right into the journalism world. Uh, found work at a daily newspaper in Marshfield in central Wisconsin and, and just went to work for like 45 years in the newspaper world and uh, uh, did a lot of different things along the way. There's always some project on my mind. But uh, while I was working at a newspaper where I worked at for more than, more than 20 years in Eau Claire, I got a random call one day and it was from a professor of English education at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. And she explained to me how she had just been part of the National Council of Teachers of English National Convention, which just coincidentally happened to be in Milwaukee that year. That's 20 years ago and uh, a little more than 20 years ago. And they had this idea of finding, randomly finding, journalists, writers, to mentor, to use this newfangled internet and um, email system to possibly mentor high school writers around the country. And so she linked, I I said, that sounds really interesting. I'm in. And she linked me up with uh, students, several students from three high schools where some of her former UCF students were teaching English. And I mentored these young folks for a few weeks. And one day I was sitting there pondering at the good fortune that I had. I'm going to circle back now uh, to have that teacher, Marveline Butterbrot, see something in me and drag me out of that study hall because I by all appearances, uh, farm kid, future Marine, Jack, wannabe tough guy. I wasn't a writer. I wasn't necessarily anybody who you would look at and say, oh, yeah, there's a poet. <laughs> uh, so I had that good fortune, and it struck me that maybe I should uh, work on something that would give people that age the same good fortune. So I called this professor at the University of Central Florida and said, I'm considering, you know, the possibility of doing a nonprofit organization uh, based out of Wisconsin here and uh, helping people 
like maybe use the land to uh, find themselves and especially young people to motivate uh, them in writing and maybe all arts. And she burst into tears and she said, I'm on my way to work with you on that. And it wasn't quite that simple, but I put together a board of directors and uh, formulated the nonprofit that we mentioned so many times, the Heartbeat Center. And this professor uh, came a couple of times to work on the educational side to direct us on some good ideas that could be used in our programming. And um, one day she sat in the northern Driftless area on the western side of the state, uh, coincidentally 1.9 miles from where we live right now, and uh, sat on a scenic overlook on a fall day and said, darn it, I have to be here. So she dropped everything she was doing in Florida and moved up here. And uh, up her here, name Wisconsin, is up, up here up, is where? Up to Wisconsin, up to, up, uh, to the Eau Claire area, okay. Osseo. Yeah. Yep. Started teaching in the uh, Osseo Fairchild School District. Well, her name, as we mentioned a couple times, was Denise Beasley. And one thing led to another. And pretty soon she was my wife, besides being the co-founder of our nonprofit organization. And over the years, 20 years has passed uh, since that all happened. The, the Heartbeat Center has evolved, and it's evolved greatly in its missions, uh, moving from concentrating and focusing on young adults to seeing need through all generations and through all segments of our society uh, to make these connections through writing in the arts. And uh, one of them that in the past few years, past 10 years, uh, especially that really has hit home for me, for me personally, of course, is uh, working with veterans. I've long need, known the, uh, the need for and the importance for veterans to tell their stories. And then when I really looked into it and really uh, did some uh, in-depth research, I, I saw the potential for benefits so we started doing uh, the, what uh, we call the Veterans Expressing Themselves Project. Kind of a witty acronym, don't you think, Mike? Well, I think it's wonderful, but I think this is really, really important what, what you're referring to. And <laughs> one of the questions I want to ask yes. uh, when we're talking about transition, and especially with, with, with Marines, I, I served in the Army. Uh, Marines have a very challenging time, not challenging, but that honor, that respect, that invincibility that they have as Marines and you go back to this recruiter who walked in with that beautiful uniform on, and it is beautiful, and he's in his, his dress uniform. So you've always got that, but now since you've returned home, what you've just shared with us, you never, you haven't yet mentioned the continuation of being a Marine, uh, you know, that once a Marine, always a Marine. And that, exactly. that identification of, of the uniform can become the identification of the person. And I, I'm really be interested to know there must be and I, I would be careful I say this a little bit of a stigma for these tough guys that you want it to be the athlete the marine the guy in the dress uniform I can't show that I have any weakness I can't I can't uh, share that and is this something that has been helpful for for the veterans that you work with to come out and start uh, sharing as you say that that person that they are yeah that's 
that's kind of the base of where we're at with the vets project, the veterans expressing themselves project. Like we, after, after working for a couple of years with folks, one day I uh, came home and, and it struck me like a ton of brick that one thing uh, someone like you or I experience all veterans experience in one form or another that when we're 17, 18, 19, whatever years old, 18 years old, you're at a point in your life where you're really trying to figure yourself out. You're trying to say, who the heck am I? And, you know, what's life all about? And, and you go off into the military service and for, I, I, I argue uh, all the good reasons your identity is taken from you and you're given an identity that's needed for you to function in the role that you need to function in that culture, as you were in that culture. Exactly. And then, yep. And then there you are back on the street in uh, three, four, five, 15, 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden, you realize that the identity that you've been given was in that uniform, as you mentioned, and that's who you are. That's what you are. In, in my work with uh, so many veterans writing, I've kind of included that there, there are like three groups of us. And uh, one group is that that's who they are, what they are, and that's all they'll ever be. You will always be that Marine. That will be your uniform for life. And then there's another group, and I kind of classify myself in this group, that that is a great part of my life. And that's that uniform will always be on me. But then there are other parts that I've brought in and I keep pulling into myself and uh and building on my my personal identity over the past 45 years or so would, would, would it be the, fair scott to say that there's more to your life experience than just the marine corps there's all of these yes. other experiences that you've had that, that are important yeah. to you as well absolutely absolutely and i've actively sought that and i know that a lot of other veterans actively seek that and then there's that third group that walks away from it. And I have a very close friend who literally did this, uh, came home from Vietnam and his uniforms went into the dumpster and he will have nothing to do with any talk. You know, we say, Hey, would you uh, be interested in joining uh, the local uh, American Legion post with us or AMVETS or anything like that? And he says flatly, hell no, I don't want anything to do with that. That's nothing about me anymore, and it hasn't been for 50 years. And, and I get it, and, I, and, and I've come to, I guess, appreciate and maybe be sensitive uh, that there are those different levels of thinking post-service. And uh, I have no idea if I'm right about those 
notions. Or, you know. Well, I, I think, you know, we can only <clears throat> think about this so much, but I think we might all agree that as many people who served in the military, that's how many stories we have. That's how many reactions we have. And that's how many yes. people we have. So you're putting out this broad, you put it into three categories and there are certainly there's subdivisions of each one of those that are overlapping. Absolutely. But as a broad, as a broad spectrum, I think that that's fairly accurate. Uh, yeah. So now when you are, using the uh, Heartbeat Veterans Expressing Themselves project. How do you get them started on this? How do they start the writing? What do they see? What is the results that they're seeing in yep. some of the cases, some of the people that you've been working with? The main thing, the very first uh, thing that working with anybody really, but especially with veterans and and especially with those veterans who most need uh, to find ways to express themselves. We develop safety. We have to have a safe environment for them. When I say that, uh, that if they tell a story or write a story, you know, if they don't want that to get anywhere beyond their eyesight, that is the way it's going to work. Absolutely uh, push and, and believe in safety. And the second part is, that you don't have to the convincing people that to tell your story, to express your story, whether it's verbally and writing, drawing or whatever, that you don't have to be Mickey Spillane. You, you can just tell the story, just uh, tell your story. And the third thing that we do, and uh, this is right up there with safety uh, for me, at least in my, in my processes is that we, tell the people or, or work with the people in ways that the stories that they tell us might have nothing to do with the military. It might not have anything to do with a combat experience. It might be having to do with the military, but something that's really fun or pleasant. And one of my favorites with that is uh, a Vietnam veteran reflecting at a, a session in uh, Menominee one time how um, uh, there was a girl across the street that he always wanted to ask on a date and he never got around to it. He got drafted. And when he came back home, her family had moved and he said, I'm gonna, gosh, darn it to heck bent now uh, after thinking about her because of this story, I want to find out what happened to her and uh, maybe talk with her someday. And I always got a kick out of that. It really it had everything to do with his experience in the service, but at the same time had nothing to do. And we use uh, some oh, methods. Wait, 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 wait. Don't leave us <laughs> hanging there. Did he find her? <laughs> I don't know to this day. I have to find him again. I, I want to find him and, uh, sorry, and ask I, him. I had because, to ask that question. No, my wife and I actually talk about that every now and again. Yeah. Wonder if the guy ever found her. <laughs> and, but... Um, some of the things we do, um, we use uh, sit down and, and say, hey, draw a map of your neighborhood, the place you grew up, if it's countryside, whatever, uh, the Fisher Farm is down the road, this draw a little map. And uh, from drawing maps, we find out uh, you wind up having a lot of different uh, things come to mind as you're actually drawing that map. And uh, as we get a little bit more deep into the program, 
you know, uh, we might take you to, I don't know, boot camp, you know, draw a map of, of what the, uh, at the time, the Quonset huts, how they were arranged and, and where you use the head and everything. And uh, some of the things that might've happened in from place to place. And then, you know, some we get, we get people uh, who we, we take in country. So would it, would it be fair to say you take them from the gentle stories of the, the man up north who was curious about this woman whose family moved all the way <laughs> right? to the more traumatic uh, episodes and events yeah. that some might experience? It, so it's, it's that, a full range of the human experience that can be valuable exactly. in using this, uh, the, the writing and the literacy. Yeah. And again, only what anybody is comfortable with doing. Absolutely. Um, One of the things I'd we, like to add to this, Scott, <clears throat> and, or, or ask you actually, there's always an element with veterans who have served in the military, who have been in that culture. There's a four letter word uh, that usually has five letters and that's trust. Uh, and yes. trust has got to be a very important element of these veterans coming to, to you to share these experiences from the outset. Is, that's, that's really true. And while I don't have some of the experiences that a lot of the veterans with whom we work have, there is that element of trust with the word veteran behind your name. You know, not that not that we always trust every veteran that we ever bumped into in our life, of course, but but there is that additional trust. And I don't know that uh, anybody off the street who might be asking to share these stories would get the same trust. I agree with you 100%. In fact, I could probably answer that for you. Yeah. They wouldn't. But let me share this with you, just to to bring this forward with you. You're you're familiar with the VA hospital in Toma. uh, And when I came home from from the military, the the reactions I was having, I didn't even know who I was anymore. You go back to this whole thing of joining the military. They've re- restructured your personality, your reality to fit into that culture. Well, now when you come home from the military, you're entering back into civilian life. I had no idea why I was having the reactions I was having, the nightmares, the sleeplessness, the panic attacks, uh, anger, all of these sorts of things. <clears throat> and my mind seemed like it was just this this ball of spaghetti, and each one of these strands yeah. of spaghetti was a different experience and a different thought, and I couldn't bring one out, and I couldn't explain one. I didn't know how to explain it to people. Some of them I didn't understand myself. So for almost 30 years, it was a jumble in my mind that was just frozen with all of these experiences and ideas, uh, even though I was physically getting older. And I right. came to a very, very, very strong uh, confrontation with the idea of suicide because my mind had all of these experiences and I thought my mind was permanently damaged. When I went to Toma for inpatient treatment, what I found was, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you the name of my book. I wrote a book not to sell, not to edit because writing was the only way I could get this out of my head, put it onto paper and actually leave it there. And then I could come back at another time and start to understand what I saw, which was no longer in my head, but physically on a piece of paper. And that yep. was that was so important for me that it was now something that I could look at and I could edit it, I could change it, I could develop it, I could work on it, but I could also go to sleep at night knowing that it was no longer stuck in my head. I don't know if that makes sense, but this whole idea of writing 
And I would agree with you 100%. The healing aspects of being in nature are very, very important for those who would who would consider that as something that they wanted to do to resolve the reactions they're mm. having. Does that make sense? I hope. <laughs> yeah. And one of, one of the things that uh, it's actually in the back of my business card uh, where I, I mentioned uh, the idea that the notion that all good writing uh, doesn't come from the head. It comes from the heart and the, the inner soul and it just winds up on, on paper. And in these cases, if I asked uh, a lot of folks who were in your situation straight up just to, hey, bring that out of your head, uh, it might not come out. It, it, you might not be able to. It, your, your mind works that way. It does. But, but I'll tell you, the introduction that is most important to me and was, I did not stalk, start talking to this until I went to Toma inpatient treatment yep. and I was with other veterans. They didn't have to yes. be combat veterans, but they were other veterans. Then I knew I was with people I could trust, and they would right. understand the common experience. Right. And uh, I, I think all of those things are so important. And as you know, in these situations, there's a lot of laughter, and there's a lot of tears. Oh, yeah. And and it's it's all healing, and uh, that's what we're all about. And, and uh, one thing uh, that I'd like to also point out, Mike, is that we all need healing to some extent. We don't think we do, maybe on a daily basis, but they're just things that, yeah, you want to, you need to take care of yourself. I'll say it that way. And a good way to take care of yourself is, is putting these words down. And and even if we don't want to think of it as healing there, sometimes I think there are just things in my mind that I don't understand and I need education. Right. I need answers. I need to know how to resolve these so that they're not mm-hmm. just fluttering around and causing me anxiety in, in the back of my mind. Yeah. So, so that's important. And, and if I could also sure. uh, touch on, on the, the idea of getting together with those veterans, one thing that I've noticed in the past 10 years or so is, I'll call it outreach, uh, the support that you have given. I, I've done literally uh, a program at uh, at the High Grounds Veterans Memorial Park with you uh, addressing some of these issues and the healing and that outreach of older veterans and the support they're giving some of the younger veterans right now is just a beautiful thing. It's a, uh, I laugh about it sometimes, Mike, when I'm sitting around with uh uh, local VF or a regional VFW group, and I'll look around the room and I'll say, "Hey, you guys, remember when we used to sit around these rooms and look at the World War II guys and say, boy, they're really old.' Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> now we're looking around yeah. and seeing that we're getting up there too. Oh, I agree but, with you. Yes, but um, that connection that is being made with some of the younger veterans uh, by some of our older veterans." is uh, is very important is doing good things I, and, I would say it's not really important but it's critical because many yes. of us because we didn't know how to resolve the reactions we were having or understand our reactions when we came we actually i, I don't want to say wasted our time but wasted decades decades yes. were lost in divorce and in, in drinking and and uh, so many negative things when really 
uh, by the time 30 years pass, you have to go re- back and resolve the drinking and the drug and, and all these other issues yes. before you can get to the original issues that you really wanted to to resolve in the first place. So the the sooner yes. you get to to someplace like the Heartbeat uh, Center for Writing and Literacy and the Arts, the sooner you can resolve these things and move on, and your life will become happier if you resolve a lot of these things. So. Uh, I agree. I, I'd like to keep speaking with you. This is just fascinating. But I want, <laughs> I want to give you time, Scott, uh, just to share real quickly uh, the documentary that you're developing titled Homes, and it's about the Afghan refugee resettlement project. Uh, share that with yeah. us. Share where, where we can find information on it. And uh, Yep. The, the Homes Project is uh, one of our latest projects at the Heartbeat Center. We're working in conjunction with the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park at Nielsville. Uh, they're doing some educational side things with us. And we're, we're following uh, Afghan refugees and people uh, throughout the community looking uh, and examining feelings of veterans who were involved with Afghanistan issues, uh, just a broad spectrum of people, and putting together uh, an educational documentary uh, to follow this process because uh, it's not the first time it's in. And uh, one of the things that might surprise folks when it comes to uh, refri- refugee resettlement, you know, uh, I automatically go back to the early mid seventies after Saigon fell and, and that group of reg- refugees that came, but it's an ongoing thing. We have refugees uh, resettling into this country on a constant basis from places all around the world. And uh, it's something that we need to understand. And again, uh, we need to come to terms with in one form or another. And that's uh, what we're really working on. And information about that and the Veterans Expressing Themselves Project and so much more can be found on our website, which is theheartbeat.us. Or go to our Facebook page for the Heartbeat Center for Writing Literacy in the Arts, Inc. Wonderful, wonderful news. I love having you on. Uh, love all the information. You are a good storyteller. You are a good <laughs> journalist. I really appreciate it. But more I, I do, Mike, if there's one thing I can add really quickly about sure. that teacher, sure. that teacher that dragged me out of the classroom, the day before I graduated from high school, came up to me and she said, Schultz, you're going to make it in life because you got a good line of BS. <laughs> well, it worked. Yep. <laughs> you're still pushing it. But the, the line of BS is pushed out there to help the human spirit uh, to improve, yep. and, and you're making it better. So we thank you for that. So, Scott, uh, really want to thank you for joining us today. And, and of course, thank your wife, Denise Beasley. Uh, and uh, all of yep. the work that you're doing and the in, the information, of course, that you just shared with us on the, the home project uh, in the documentary and the Afghanistan refugee uh, settlement in America. So just give us that, that address one more time where they can find out more information about the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and mm-hmm. the Arts and, and uh, the home project. Right. The Heartbeat Center uh, for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts, the website is the Heartbeat dot us the heartbeat dot us or we have a facebook page for the heartbeat center for writing literacy and the arts okay thank you scott here i i'd like to share something because uh 
we want to start paying more attention to words that are influence us, but we don't necessarily understand exactly what they are. One of them is stigma. And I want uh, people to pay attention to stigmas if they're feeling these pressures or whatever they might be, these voices from other, not literally voices, but these, uh, these understandings that there might be reasons that we as soldiers have to uh, consider ourselves invincible and a stigma that we can't come forward and look for answers or ask for answers or, or seek uh, some sort of help and healing for whatever we're experiencing. And i just like to have our audience understand or ask themselves, what is the stigma actually doing for you? What is the healing you're getting from the stigma? And how does that stigma help you to have a more happiness in your life uh, for yourself and for your family and your loved ones? And if that stigma is so important, why? how do we come to disarm that stigma and take control of the reactions that you're having so that you can move on in life? But that stigma is something I'd like us all to to spend a little bit more time to understand, not that it's just a dictionary word, but how is it affecting us and what is the value of a stigma? Uh, and for those um, uh, who might want to get some more information, a lot of us understand who have been through this that before the ideas of suicide come up, a long period of a very, very punishing depression can can precede that. And the uh, the folks at the, the Coopley Foundation know that, and actually we have to thank them for a grant that uh, is partially responsible or supports us in our podcast today. And go to their website, the Charles E. Coopley Foundation.org, and look at the great work that they're doing on depression and suicide. And they're doing this because their family has experienced that. So if you are struggling or in a crisis, please reach out to people who care at the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and then press 1. And remember that you can go to our website, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org or simply OF, the number for Vets.org, and there'll be more um, resources that will be available for you. Uh, uh, for whatever reactions you might have. But again, I would like to thank our guest, Scott Schultz, for the great work that he's doing, the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts Incorporated, and, of course, a Marine veteran, and for his uh, his high school teacher for grabbing him by the ears, getting him out of a chair, <laughs> getting him into the profession he's in now. So for Bob Bach, I am Mike Orban, and remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.